Grace and peace be with you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So the floodwaters had subsided. God had judged the earth, but he safely delivered Noah and his family. He had drowned those who rebelled against him, but he brought forth new life through this one obedient man, Noah. This was to be a new day. This was to be a new type of creation. Noah was the man in whom the Lord found favor. He was righteous in the sight of God on account of his faith in God's word. He did what God told him to do. Noah was going to be the one who would repopulate the earth. The man of promise that God would use to bring about his plan of redemption. To send into the world a redeemer. One who would come forth to tackle this problem of sin. To conquer death. Once the waters had receded, God told he and his family to come out of the ark, and they did. And God blessed them. He gave them the same cultural mandate that he gave to Adam and Eve. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, populate this thing, cover the earth with my glory. And he made this covenant promise. He said, never again will I destroy the earth in this manner. Never again will I cut off all flesh through the waters of the flood. It was this beautiful picture of God's promises and God's salvation. His plan to bring about this new creation, a new beginning. The flowers smelled good. There was hope. There was new life. There was enormous potential for how Noah could fulfill this cultural mandate. The future was bright. But then we find Noah drunk and passed out in his tent. The very next scene, naked as the day he was born, he'd become a man of the soil, you see. He'd planted a vineyard. He wanted to partake of his choicest fruits, which is totally understandable. I get it, right? But he didn't practice temperance. He went overboard. Maybe we can cut him some slack. This is actually the first time the scriptures mention wine. Uh, So it's not like Noah had an instruction manual or anything like that. So maybe we can cut him some slack. But he should have known better. He was God's plan for repopulating the earth. He had listened to God up to this point. And now here he was making a fool of himself. The first to notice was Ham. Interesting name for a son. I feel like I should have named my son Ham. It's kind of what he looks like sometimes. Anyway. Uh, So this son of Noah happened by his father's drunken stupor, walked by his tent, and rather than cover up the shame of his father, he broadcast it to his brothers. The text of scripture here is actually, it's ambiguous, and perhaps for the sake of modesty, it doesn't go too far into what Ham did. But whatever happened, his intent was to bring scorn and mockery upon his father. See, Noah had acted shamefully. Noah sinned. But let's not forget that it was on account of Noah that Ham wasn't just another body floating out there in the tidewaters. Not only this, but Noah was Ham's father. And in failing to cover up his father's shame, he brought double the shame double the guilt upon himself. The other brothers, Shem and Japheth, 
They did not see their father as an object of scorn, but they restored their father's honor by covering him up. They did not look upon his nakedness, but they they actually walked backwards with a blanket and placed it upon him. And when Noah woke up, he cursed his son Ham, but he blessed Shem and Japheth. And many of Ham's descendants would carry on their father's sinful legacy, a shameful legacy. They would all pay the price. The book of Exodus calls Egypt the land of Ham. The land of Ham. The Hamites, that lineage, eventually settled in the land of Egypt. They would become a prosperous but idolatrous nation. And God did judge them in the end. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. God delivering his people, the Shemites, the Semites, the Israelites, out of the land of Ham. God judging the land of Ham. Now, among the several points that we could derive from this interesting account, this story of Genesis, we, we, we find that Noah had sinned, but it was not the business of the sons to make mockery of the fact Luther has some very famous lectures on the book of Genesis. In those lectures, he says this. He says, Ham appeared wise and holy to himself. And in his own judgment, he regarded many things that his father had done as evil or foolish. This points to a heart that despises not only its parent, but also the commands of God. Ham broke the fourth commandment. But Shem and Japheth obeyed it. By covering up their father. You see, the fourth commandment has nothing to do with whether a person deserves honor. It doesn't have much to do with it at all. It has everything to do with the office and what God has to say about it. We are to honor our father and mother. This means that we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents or other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. This sounds simple and enjoyable enough, especially if we have good parents. It makes sense that we should do this, but what about those situations in which parents have been abusive, demeaning, controlling? What about those who have abandoned those that are in their care? Are we exempt from this commandment if that's the case with our parents? In the large catechism, Luther invites us to consider this. He says, although this work, the work of honoring our parents, although this work is regarded as humble and despised, consider it great and precious. You want to know what a good work is? This is a good work. Do this not because of the worthiness of parents, but because this work is included in and controlled by the word and commandment of God. So whether you have the greatest parents in the world or the world's worst parents, God's will for you is that you honor them. So what does it look like if they're not so great? Resolve not to speak ill of them. Put the best construction on their failings. Inasmuch as it's up to you, try to live peacefully with them. Don't broadcast their shame, but cover it with the gospel of peace. I know it's easier said than done. I, I, I don't know your situation. I just know what God promises in His Word. I know what He commands in His Word. This is the first commandment that we have that carries a promise with it. It says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. 
It's not about the worthiness of our parents. It's about God's best for us. We should also note the location of this commandment. Because we are now in what is called the second table of the law. The first table deals with those first three commandments. Those first three that we've already walked through this Lenten season. That's the first table. The first table deals with this relationship right here. Our relationship to God. The second table deals with our relationships to our neighbor. And that's where we're at today. This is the first commandment of the second table. And I'm not trying to be cheeky here, but it's critical that our children learn this commandment. (laughs) It's critical. Because obedience to mom and dad is obedience to God. They go hand in hand. So if you're a parent, or if you will be a parent, God has placed you in your home as your children's primary authority. Don't give them reasons for disobeying this commandment. If you are overbearing with them, or if you are overly harsh, Scripture says you will cause them to stumble. So parent in such a way that it's a delight for your children to keep this commandment. That it's a delight for them to hold you in the highest honor and the highest esteem. And yes, if you have any pointers, I am all ears. I would love to hear those pointers. We're all still learning. We're all here to help one another be the godliest parents that we could possibly be for our children. So this regards not only our relationship to our parents, our kids' relationship to us, but it also regards this. It regards other authorities as well. We see the goodness and the blessedness of this order that God gives to society. This is the way that God has set it up. This is the, God, this is the way that God has provided for our blessing, for our safety, our peace, our well-being. It's through the establishment of authorities. You see, authority is actually a good thing. Everybody say that. Authority is a good thing. We, you know, we, we often don't think in those terms. We often think of abusive authority, but actually authority is given by God. It's a good thing. It's meant to be a blessing and comfort to us. See, we begin with the authority of parents, but we branch out from there into society. All authority is derived from the parents, who in turn derive their authority from God. So here's the way that this works. We, with our collective authority, we form governments and we form systems of the state that see to human flourishing and our protection from harm. Government is nothing except our collective authority together. So the fathers and the mothers of the state are those local and federal authorities whom we also honor and cherish, not because they are perfect, but because of the office that God gives and what God does through the office. So when we break our local laws, we're breaking the fourth commandment. In the church, we have spiritual authorities who feed you God's word and his sacraments, 
And let us not forget the honor that they are due as well, even when they fall short, even when they blow it. God has set up parents in the home. He has set up parents in the state. He has set up parents in the church. Authority is a good thing. He means it for your blessing. So walking in this commandment is not easy, especially when there's an abuse of authority. But even when authority is used correctly, it still remains difficult because we live with a sinful nature. We have this thing called the old Adam that does not want any authority above himself. The old Adam, the sinful nature, only wants to be his own authority. It was in the Garden of Eden that he rebelled against God, that he cast off God's authority, that he despised his creator and his father. But Jesus, Jesus is the second Adam who restores us to a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And through His shed blood, God has been reconciled to us and He forgives you all of your sins. And through holy baptism, He has covered your shame. Like Noah's shame, He has covered your shame with His righteousness. He has covered your nakedness with His garments of royalty. So we can walk in this commandment knowing that The authorities that God has placed in our lives are from the hand of a good and gracious God who is always after our best. It's a profound act of trust for us to act this way. We're not placing our trust in the authorities. We're placing our trust in God who has given them to us to be a blessing. It is God who works through the office. So may we all trust in his provision for our lives by honoring and obeying our parents and other authorities that God places in our lives. Amen.